You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. This week, uh, we're visiting Alaska. We're talking with Frank de Jong, who is the former leader of the Ontario Greens and someone we toured through Australia way back in 2007. And uh, I invited Frank onto the show to discuss this political logjam we have where we see so many democracies are struggling to deal with the pressures of uh, working class people uh, whilst at the same time dealing with uh, an entitled right wing that seems to... Uh, be uh, calling the shots here, there and everywhere. So, Frank, uh, for me, this is uh, an issue of political economy. What does political economy mean to you? Well, first of all, I just have to back up a little bit. You made a, a very egregious error saying, suggesting that I live in Alaska. <laughs> I do not live in Alaska. I'm in Yukon, which is beside Alaska, Alaska being part of the United States. <laughs> Oh, goodness, that is wrong. <laughs> That's quite right. People say, where's Yukon? We always say, well, it's beside Alaska. <laughs> I sound like an American. Don't even know the uh, the globe. Well, I'm afraid I'm ignorant of the states of Australia as well. But anyway, no, you're, it's, very, it's very fascinating uh, around the world, what you, your introduction, how we have this populism going on. And the populism seems to be completely anti-environmental agenda. And the way it's been characterized recently, you've probably heard this little meme, and that is these folks are worried about the end of the month, not the end of the world. And when you characterize it using that meme, you, it's hard to be uh, judgmental or pejorative or uh, con condescending against you know, working people that say, oh, these stupid working people, you know, they, they don't care about the planet. Well, I'm sure they do care about the planet, but their more their more immediate concern is making their budget at the end of the month. So it truly is a case where, you know, the 1% or the 0.1% really have to step up. The opinion makers of society, not uh, uh, not the working, the working folks, the people who are just barely scraping by, which is, you know, 50% of us are going month to month or 60. I don't know what the statistic is. But yes, the larger political economy is, we have to look at our economic system and, and our tax structure primarily, because all of us, you talk to anyone for more than you know 30 seconds and they'll say, well, obviously the health of the biosphere is paramount. It's the most important thing for, for, for me and my life and my children and all other, all other humans and all other species. But um, the trouble is our economic system, our tax structure, sends the opposite message, and that's why we have the problem we have today. Mm, and the economy of these political decisions is hampered because uh, we continually choose second-rate options uh, that also have this short-term electoral cycle in mind rather than the difficult, uh, far-reaching sort of structural changes that are needed in this era of... Uh, buy and sell uh, economics. 
Well, that's so true. It's also in industry. Uh, it takes a huge amount of effort to get a product from the inception onto the market. It takes massive advertising. You have to buy shelf space. And it's hard to turn those turn those around to uh, planet supporting products. I mean, industry re retools roughly every four years, but they need an incentive to retool towards sustainability. And our present tax structure doesn't give them that incentive. Our our present tax structure incents businesses, small and large, you know, small or no different than large, to not employ people whenever possible, and to grind up nature to use as much. Resources are cheap, pollution is basically free. So for any business, large and small, and general citizens as well, the incentive financially is to not care about the planet and not care about pollution and to not employ uh, humans. So it's all, it's quite backwards. And that's, that's what the Georgia's agenda addresses. And that's why I'm very much a strong member of the Georgia's movement and the Green Movement, which of course, um, the slogan was uh, tax bads, not goods. And so we should be shifting our tax structure off of humans, off of jobs, off of businesses, off of profits, and put it onto uh, the use and abuse of nature, which is uh, sites, sources, and sinks. Oh, sites, sources, and sinks. That's a good new angle. Well, it's a, it's sort of a wide open thing, isn't it? But it's it's fascinating. We're in Canada. We're not immune at all to this. Um, you mentioned in when we talked earlier that Canada was supposedly one of the bright lights of the of of, of all countries. We do have a carbon tax coming in. We have an, a lot, the first ever carbon tax in British Columbia, and now we're we're going to institute a carbon tax at the federal level. We have phased out coal in most of our most of our jurisdictions and the last few that still use coal are in the process of phasing them out. But we do have populist uh, premiers, which uh, our system is uh, in a number of provinces who are dead against carbon tax, dead against pricing carbon at all, and are, are totally supportive of increasing, expanding the tar sands in northern Alberta and Saskatchewan, which is the dirtiest fossil fuel on the planet. So we're, we're not exactly an angel uh, by any stretch. But you have avoided a lot of the political uh, fallout that is uh, we're seeing in the headlines day by day between France and England and uh, America's uh, slow decline. But uh, for me, there's that disjoint that the, the political classes just can't move policy rapidly enough. And on this show for a long time, I've sort of talked about that double-edged sword of uh, the Murdochracy, Rupert Murdoch's press dumbing down the public, uh, removing long-term analysis really from 70% of Australia's media and probably similar amounts in the Western uh, Hemisphere. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's a massive issue. And uh, at the same time, we've had the growth of uh, well-funded right-wing think tanks Thankfully, in Australia, the, the left-wing uh, group GetUp has been uh, more uh, proficient on the digital activism front, so that's helped to balance out uh, some of these pressures. But still, uh, we see uh, the Koch brothers, uh, for example, George Monbiot revealing this week that they've been uh, secretly uh, funding uh, think tanks in yeah. magazines yeah. in the UK and whatnot. So... Yeah, it's, it's certainly a battle of ideas and here we are as Georgia's trying to get out this sort of objective uh, 
uh, centralist kind of policy that can deal with both left and right. The average person, if they they don't have the luxury of of, of of buying carbon offsets when they fly, they don't have the luxury of of buying organic food. Um, they don't have the luxury of of living in a uh, a downtown location where you can walk. Those, those the houses are so expensive there. They have to live in the suburbs and commute. They have no choice but to commute. There are a whole range of structural um, uh, structures in place that discourage people from, or that prohibit people from making green decisions. And and the way to do that is through the you know the George's analysis of of untaxing humans and untaxing. Um, uh, jobs and businesses and, and shift the taxes to, so that the tax structure will send the right feedback loops to businesses and individuals. And if we could do that, we'd be we'd preempt a whole range of problems. Also, we'd make it would um, it would it would end up with a lot better um, distribution of, of wealth uh, as opposed to the maldistribution now where we have the, the 0.1 percent and the 1 percent which have a investment in the present situation. It's pretty complex. It is, and uh, t- you know, just as an example for listeners, uh, Australian land prices increased by some six hundred ninety-three billion dollars uh, in the twenty sixteen seventeen financial year. Uh, banking uh, profits before. Uh, deductions, so their gross profits sort of thing, were about $55 billion, so 14 times greater than the banks. And uh, between those two, the, the the value of that banking license and the value of uh, that uh, ownership of uh, land could well fund uh, over half of all government revenue. And then you start getting these effective uh, tax signals, Frank. So uh, in uh, Vancouver, uh You've been uh, on the front foot taxing vacant properties. Uh, there's been a, a bit of a property market correction there. How's, how have you been perceiving this? Well, I think it's a small step in the right direction. It's it's not a proper George's tax, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, it's it's discouraged speculation and leaving a space vacant, waiting for the value to rise. Uh, and uh, Toronto has also put in a, t- a tax for foreign foreign buyers. So whether that's being effective or just sends a chill through the through the uh, property speculation uh, market, uh, it's having an effect. Plus, interest rates are rising, so our our house prices are cooling to some extent and not crashing like in Australia. So I suppose we are making a few positive things. But on the other hand, if you look at the rental costs, the cost of a one bedroom in, in Toronto is $2,300 a month. It's completely out of the range of, of almost uh, of like three quarters of the population, the rental population. We are still capitalizing land uh, massively. Uh, presumably, we're heading for a major correction in probably 2026, which is when we expect the next real estate crash to happen. Yeah, those rental costs are outrageous. And uh, for Australia, we've also implemented uh, vacancy taxes on foreigners at the federal level and uh, vacancy taxes at the state level for the inner and middle ring suburbs. 
Um, at the same time, we've had this Royal Banking Commission underway, which has uh, set a rocket up our regulators, and finally they're starting to enforce some of the uh, uh, behaviours uh, they're meant to have. I mean, you wouldn't believe it, Frank. Uh, uh, the ACCC was running their press releases past the banks before they released them. It was outrageous. <laughs> uh, uh, so those sort of things are happening, and the... Um, the rejection of loans is up some 1,200% on last year. So finally, they're um, using more responsible lending. And the combination of those factors with uh, some of the capital controls in China has seen that uh, auction clearance rates are in uh, the low 40s, 40% whereas uh, a couple of years ago, they were 70 to 80%. And uh, I often talk about in the mid 80s uh, investors were some 12% of the market compared to of recent times some 40%. So investors have really dropped off and uh, prices are, have dropped, you know, around about uh, 1.5% nationally and 6 and 8% between Melbourne and Sydney. So uh, it, it, it is correcting orderly. There's uh, certainly no signs of... Uh, uh, unemployment increasing here at the moment, so recession is still quite a way off uh, for when we'd probably see accelerated price falls. But uh, these attempts to uh, move us towards uh, more ethical use of uh, land and real estate are positive, but uh, our challenge now is to take the next step and increase the momentum so we can move towards uh, replacing payroll taxes, replacing stamp duties with uh, a mm. higher land tax. I suspect what's happening in Australia is the same as Canada and the US too. It's a continual deindustrialization of our of our economies. And that's from primarily because we are um, we are pricing ourselves out of the market. Although I, I heard there was some um, a YouTube video that China is no longer cheap labor which is interesting. And the reason China still makes all of our stuff is because China has such an amazing concentration of, of uh, highly trained uh, people to, to build things and work things and solve problems, which we don't have in, uh, in North America anymore. Um, and so we have become in Canada a service um, economy like in the States and I suspect Australia. Uh, also become more and more of a service economy, which is still an economy, but it is GDP. People are exchanging uh, money to provide services to each other. So the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a classical sense, it's still just as solid an economy. However, it's not a green economy because it requires carting, bringing products all around the world and bringing raw resources around the world. And shipping out our resources and buying back products, and we have then you have um, uh, exchange um, uh, deficits of um, what do you call it, between countries, etc. So it is an interesting thing happening. But the same problem, of course, is still that our the societal surplus is still capitalizing uh, into land. There is in Canada, probably in Australia, it's probably going around. There's a lot of talk about UBIs, you know. Uh, guaranteed annual incomes 
universal you know, incomes. And that's also a, a step in the right direction, but it's a question of how it's funded because most of the UBI people want uh, more taxation on the rich and that's never gonna get anywhere. Uh, that's where the Georgist economics comes in again because uh, guaranteed annual income should be funded out of economic rent, which is uh, the unearned income that belongs to all of us and it should be redistributed to all of us through a guaranteed income. Listeners, you're on 3CR's Renegade Economist uh, this week with Frank de Jong from Yukon in Canada. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Frank is uh, one of the founders of the Canadian Green Party. And uh, we're talking again about the uh, political and economic uh, uh, slow decline of Western civilization and uh, for many the the call is that neoliberalism is over and uh, we're seeing uh, the rise of populist leaders scramble for uh, reactionary policies such as increasing uh, tariffs and so forth so uh, Frank uh, I want to you just mentioned UBI here in Australia, the ACTU, the, who are in charge of our, our peak union body, says that uh, uh, we should have a living wage at 60% of median earnings, and for that to happen would require a 23% increase in uh, uh, the, the low-income wage earners. So uh, it would be a big impost on society, but uh, we already have a rather large impost on society in terms of these monopoly rents that uh, the the 0.01% are allowed to charge. And, uh, yeah, over time, that is something that uh, we've quantified at uh, around about uh, uh, 23, 24% of Australia's GDP. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, a very interesting space, isn't it, over time? We've also got uh, the MMT movement coming through, talking about governments reclaiming cur- currency sovereignties. Uh, where do you think... Uh, this uh, battleground for uh, economic uh, modernization will will flow through to? Well, uh, at the moment, I'm not confident uh, we are going to have any um, modernization. I think it's there's retrograde what is being is the is the order of the day now. I'm quite pessimistic that we'll ever ever address climate change uh, anywhere near. Uh, I'm. Uh, not at all confident that humans will get our act together to address climate change. I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself for you know um, uh, runaway climate change, like almost everyone is now. Uh, you know, we could end up with um, massive uh, human and uh, species extinction. It's not at all a pretty picture that that's happening. And with all the populist, you know, you mentioned Caron of France and. Uh, and this is happening in many countries. That's a, that's retrograde thinking. That's not pointing to any kind of. Well, it's a polarization again. And I don't know. Neoliberalism, hopefully, is is people are wising up to it, but I don't see the the the, the popular 
know, the populists, the populists actually addressing neoliberalism at all. Like Donald Trump is certainly not addressing neoliberalism. He's a he's an apologist for neoliberalism. And same in Canada, our liberal government here, they are neoliberal to the to the max as well, and they're not doing anything to do any kind of comprehensive redistribution of income. What I what I started working on, you know, 10, 15 years ago was the, the Georgist economic agenda, which came out of the green idea of tax bads, not goods, and the idea of financing government through collecting economic rent. And the, the implication for that is we wouldn't need a universal basic income because there would be more jobs around than people to fill them. It would turn, turn us back forward to where we were in the 20s and 30s where there was well not the depression but there used to be an endless demand for more labor and um, because at the time um, nature was endless and humans were the shortage for production and now it's the opposite we have uh, too many humans and not enough nature so therefore instead of taxing the humans with our income taxes we have to shift the tax off of humans and onto nature to preserve nature and reduce and stop climate change and at the same time make it easier for people to start businesses and provide goods and services for each other locally and nationally and yes there's nothing wrong with international production especially when you have uh, international division of labor that's often very, very um, cost-effective and productive. But I think, I don't see the the present direction. Um, if you do, Carl, I'd be love to hear about it, but I don't see us getting out of this mess in the next 10, 20 years. I'd be, I'm gonna be very interested watching developments over the, over the next couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, it is hard to maintain hope, but I just see that the future uh, politics is gonna become more radical. And from that, the fact that uh, this commodification of land and housing is only going to accelerate. Uh, we've got this build-to-rent phenomenon uh, coming through with the corporatization of the rental market, underpinned by these new uh, rental-backed mortgage securities. So, uh, you know, they're basically uh, claiming more and more land and consolidating that, uh, using other people's money through these securities to buy up and shield themselves through various corporate structures. Uh, from that, uh, more and more people are going to be paying 50% uh, plus of their income on somewhere to live. And uh, yeah, you know, I just say my prayers for my sisters and brother and family and friends who are locked out of housing, hoping somehow they can get their savings together over the next uh, year or so and buy in mid-2020 because uh, we're estimating that the takeoff after that up to 2026, 20, 27 is going to be massive. And if you are still locked out over that next eight year sort of uh, time frame, yeah, it's going to be increasingly difficult to survive. And so that's why I think in time we're going to see a development of ethical landlordism and that will become quite a movement of people willing to uh, rent their properties out at ethical uh, uh, rents based on uh, you know some form of uh, uh, land rent rather than land price removing the speculative price out of the, the rental returns uh, property owners are seeking and uh, 
Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, the community land trust movement will grow and uh, become a, a bit of a beacon for how much easier life would be if we didn't have this uh, incredible weight of, uh, of paying uh, this secret tax that the wealthy charge the poor in terms of yeah. these excessive rents. So, um, yeah, we just have to forge ahead somehow and hope that that 100th monkey comes on board soon enough. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, The Economist recently in their 175th edition of uh, the magazine said, look, you know, really now is the time for land value taxes. This is, uh, you know, we've we've been the ugly duckling of the economics reform movement for so long. It's uh, hopefully time for, uh, for those wings to spread. Well, you're you're throwing a lot of Hail Mary passes here, Carl, and I don't see anyone out there catching them. I mean, the, the whole notion of 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 uh, capturing uh, uh, land rent for public purposes is still not even it's between the floor and the wax here in Canada. I do know about some land trusts. A friend of mine is trying to put one together outside of Ottawa, and there's one in Ontario that I was following for a long time. And there's a, a First Nations community in, in Yukon that actually owns a fair bit of land that ha- that's part within the city limits of the town of Whitehorse. And they now have uh, uh, secured changes to um, the legality of their owning this land. It's their traditional land. And they're going to keep the land, of course, but they're going to rent it out and use the benefit for their entire community. So that's, it's exactly uh, exactly the kind of thing that I'd like to see much, much more of it. But there's precious little of that happening in North America. Maybe we're still too rich, Carl. Maybe, I think, you know, if certain 50% own houses in Canada and they have one or two kids and those one or two kids get together with someone who doesn't have a house and then the, the, the seniors pass on and then they give, they, they, the only way to get a house these days is to inherit it. It's almost impossible ever to buy it. So, but because people are having few children, uh, it's more and more possible for everyone almost to inherit a house one way or the other. <laughs> a lot of young people are living at home until their 30s and beyond, and they're married, living at home still where they're with their parents. And in a way, that could be a wonderful thing if the relationships are good. But uh, it's a difference it's hard it's hard to point to one to 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 the bad side of it all or the good side of it all i don't know can you can you can you clarify this for me carl <laughs> yeah frank uh there were a lot of Hail Marys there <laughs> i don't know whether i can clarify it uh yeah we just you know i just hope that somewhere along the way we're going to find a major philanthropist who can help reinvigorate this movement because uh, we're uh, celebrating our 90th year, uh, the Henry George Foundation of Australia this year, and uh, my, my, we'd love uh, another major donation. Uh, it was £1,000 back in 1928, and we've used that to uh, fund uh, a national movement on... Uh, you know, rather meagre sort of uh, 
footings, but yeah, the potential is there. And I mean, I I like throwing hail marys too, and and I can think of three right off the bat. One was the ozone layer, right? The ozone layer was threatened, and everyone started to realize this. And uh, governments around the world got together and there's a few conferences and they phased out CFCs and we, we saved the ozone layer. You know, it's, it's going to take another 50 or 100 years to replenish, but it's, it's, in, it's, in, uh, it's in that direction is established, which is great. So it shows that humanity as a whole can make important global decisions. Another one is now the legalization of marijuana, that Canada was a, was a second country in the world, and, and it's now after fighting it, after activists trying to decriminalize it for decade after decade after decade, all of a sudden it's flipped over. And now it's becoming a fait accompli everywhere. Another one is the Me Too movement after, you know, decade after decade of really bad uh, sexual abuse and sexual domination by men. All of a sudden, the whole Western world anyway is, uh, is, 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 is breaking out of that and stepping up. I mean, humans can change awful quick when tipping points happen, right? Malcolm Gladwell's book has made everybody really happy in many ways that people can change on a massive scale. And we need that in economics and we need that in uh, environmental uh, awareness and sensitivity. So now I'm throwing a few Hail Marys. Well, Frank, uh, unfortunately, we better stop there. But uh, thanks for joining us uh, for our second last weekly show here on 3CR's Renegade Economist. Always good to be in touch, Frank. And yeah, let's hope uh, that 100th monkey comes on board sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Carl. Thanks a million for listening. Check the show notes on earthsharing.org.au.